Hi there listeners. Welcome to episode 194 of Never on the Backfoot podcast. The WPL has been a landmark tournament in the history of women's cricket and so far the tournament has been nothing short of brilliant. On the podcast to join us for a discussion on the same we have Mohit Shah. He is a freelance journalist who has been associated with ESPN Cricket Info, ESPN and Women's Cricket Zone in the past. a self proclaimed cricket vegetable he loves talking and reading about olympic sports kabaddi and the movies as well without further ado let's hop on to the discussion hi mohit welcome back to never on the backfoot podcast it's been quite a while and now you know we see the women's premier league so first things first how are you doing today Hi, I'm doing well, and thank you so much for having me again. Like it's great to be on the podcast again, and that too. Yeah, like after a long time, like you said, <laughs> I hope you're doing well as well. Yes, Mohit, thank you so much. And you know, the women's Premier League is now something that we've always wanted, right? So initially, there were a lot of concerns, like, hey, why is the women's Premier League being called this and not the women's IPL? And I think that itself caused like a lot of disappointment to some fans, and there were some uh, things, right? So, what did you uh, make of it? Yeah, like that was a little interesting. Like originally, maybe there was some merit in calling it. the wipl like say the bbl and the wbbl hmm. but like in hindsight looking at the kind of publicity that the bcci have done for this event and like how much they've pushed it on social media and everything hmm. and considering this is a standalone tournament i personally like don't have a issue with the name because like the first season has been pretty promising and if this takes off why not like have something that's unique to the women we don't always need to like have something that piggybacks off the men's tournaments or hmm. even if even if it's the name so i personally like the name like it puts the women uh, in the front and center and i think that is what the purpose of this league is so yeah i personally like feel considering how the season has panned out and how hmm. all the promotions have been i think they've backed it up with some good strategies so yeah i think the name as it is is fine at least for me Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's certainly carving a niche for itself with the kind of matches uh, that we've seen, and we will be discussing that also a little later on in the episode. Now, the launch of the Women's Premier League, you know, can be considered as a very significant milestone for uh, cricket in our country, right? And it also signals the start of this new era for women's cricket. And you know, we're going to see a lot of uh, very interesting changes. So, what are your thoughts on everything that's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of the overseas players have been saying, like this is a tournament which is going to immensely benefit the Indian women's cricketers and like help them unearth their potential and play with the best players in the world for almost a month, and like get to play with them every day, train with them every day, get coaching from the best coaches in the world, which mm-hmm. otherwise doesn't really happen unless they go and play an overseas league. which then only happens like if you played for india mm-hmm. so now the number of people who will be getting exposure to the best facilities the best kind of coaching the best kind of teammates is exponentially more than it used to be because just in the first season itself there have been so many players who have been picked up at the auction who haven't played for india yet or even mm-hmm. for india a or even india under 19 mm-hmm. so especially for all those players this is like a really big deal and let's not discount the kind of financial benefit also this brings because they'll be earning more in a month than they would in multiple seasons of playing domestic cricket mm-hmm. so that is like money which they can put into improving their game be it like through hiring a personal coach or like i read somewhere that uh, a player wanted to buy a vehicle so that they can like travel to training mm-hmm. on their own and not have to change multiple modes of transport so those kind of things so i think like and more than anything like once the families also start seeing that this is a profession which pays you well which takes care of you it also like encourages them to support the upcoming cricketers and like uh, yeah it tells them that yeah there is this league which is like probably a goal that the upcoming cricketers can aspire to and have like a good lifestyle and also like yeah take care takes care of their cricketing needs so i think there's immense benefit both in terms of 
financial benefits as well as non-financial benefits. And it obviously also benefits the Indian cricket team because ultimately whoever impresses here and does hmm. well will be getting the chance to turn out for India. Absolutely. I mean, the league in its inaugural edition itself has uh, brought in such brilliant, uh, you know, changes in the lives of these uh, cricketers and such heartwarming uh, stories, you know, as you rightly pointed out, besides the financial viability, it really helps in reinstating the faith that cricket for women, you know, is going to be profitable and it's just a market that has so much uh, potential to tap into. And uh, even the BCCI, right, they're often uh, lambasted on not doing enough for women's cricket with respect to uh, televising the matches properly or, you know, not advertising it. But this time around, I feel the marketing and the advertising, you know, for the Women's Premier League with respect to the uh, Instagram page that's exclusively for Women's Premier League, the kind of promos you see, trailers, videos and such interactive content that's even being made by the franchise is brilliant stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, in the past, we've often be, been frustrated with how little exposure these players yeah. have gotten, how little their stories have been told. But like you said, like credit has to go to BCCI because they've like, like you said, rightly marketed this product really well, advertised mm -hmm. it really well. Like if you look at the uh, kind of opening ceremony they had, like the kind Ooh, of yeah. promotions they did, it was quite good. And they maintained that throughout. It's not like they just did it for the first day or they are just doing it for the final. Like they've been consistent in promoting it throughout. They've brought out some really good stories. And like you said, equal credit has to go to the franchisees as well mm -hmm. because they've actually taken that effort to get to know the players, make them feel comfortable, get their families there or get their relatives there and mm -hmm. get getting them to open up, making them feel safe and valued and comfortable. And there has been a lot of positive messaging that has gone out from the franchisees. And like, I think the players also have like genuinely become friends, gotten to know each, each other. Like we saw Sophie Eccleston and Talia Magra, uh, or was it Elisa Healy talking about hmm. getting a bad sponsor for Kiran Navgire, yes. Grace Harris, I think. Sophie Eccleston huh. and Grace Harris, which I thought was really nice because... Otherwise, these are the kind of things that you won't really get to see an Australian mm. and an English player promoting Indian talent. Like it might mm. happen, but it won't happen at this scale. So also the players have, especially the overseas players and the experienced Indian players have like gone out of their way to make the younger teammates feel comfortable mm -hmm. and feel like a part of the team. So that all of that has been really good to see. And it has like increased awareness so much. Like even in the domestic season, somebody like Shreyanka Patil was doing really mm. well. But the amount of people that were talking about her has like increased by at least a hundred times, if not a thousand times. So it's mm. great to see like somebody like that who's not yet played for India, but keeps putting the performances, getting talked about, getting the attention. The overseas players have spoken about her. Smriti Mandana has spoken about her. And similarly, there are names like that in every team, like Saika Ishak in Mumbai hmm. or, yeah, Parshavi Chopra in UP. So that has been really good to see. And that, I think, more than anything, boosts the players' confidence as well because they're getting to play with the players hmm. that they've probably, probably idolized or always looked up to and getting to hear positive feedback from them really helps the players as well. I think that's such a great point because, you know, these are young cricketers and rubbing shoulders with the players of the stature really would uh, help develop their game. And more than, you know, the stats and who wins on a given day, I think it's these friendships, right, that really matter. Something for these domestic players and everyone to savor for us fans to also, you know, really enjoy, right? And... Uh, even when you think of uh, the Women's Premier League right now, even before the league got started, we saw how the franchises were sold for like such a massive amount. Even the broadcasting rights and everything, even the auctions were simply just so fascinating to see, you know, the amount it was going for. So how do you think, you know, the Women's Premier League is going to help women's cricket build on this uh, cricket economy and how, how are the financials looking? I think the financials will obviously only improve. Like for the first season already, the kind of money they raked in, be it for the TV rights or for the franchisees, was really good. I think like going by a comparative thing, the amount that they got for the franchisees was higher than the mm -hmm. inaugural edition of the IPL. Obviously, you have to like take factors like inflation into account. But still, I feel like 
that's a great first step and also the tv valuation that they got for this tournament that was mm-hmm. exceptional so that clearly shows that there is like a definite market for women's sport and women's cricket there are people who are very interested all you need to do is promote it the right way market it the right way because you need to create awareness about the product like mm. there are people who are interested in the product but they need to know what's happening mm. so it's going to immensely benefit like everybody like not just the cricketers but also like people who are associated with the game in any capacity like be it commentators be it umpires be it scorers be it the grounds people or mm. even journalists so i think it's massively benefiting the entire cricketing economy and not just the players and obviously like this will also benefit the players who are not a part of the league this mm-hmm. year because the players who have played will gain that knowledge and then go back in the domestic season and pass it on to their teammates and then they indirectly will benefit from it and they also now have this goal apart from playing for the indian team because ultimately mm-hmm. there are like 400 500 people who play a domestic match every year but at the most mm-hmm. 25 people will play a match for india in a calendar year yeah. but even if there are just five wpl franchises at least 60 indian players will be playing every year which is a huge number and the franchises and the players will only increase in the years to come so that like gives a lot of people one other goal apart from playing for india which can like keep them going and sustain them and probably encourage them to stay in the game for longer as well so yeah lots of benefits for especially the cricketers but also everybody else that is a stakeholder mm-hmm. in the women's cricket circles yeah that's such a great point you bring in and you know i think what i really liked was the professionalism aspect that's really going to come in with these cricketers and how you know these skills they can pass on to their respective uh, domestic sides and how it will largely benefit the cricket ecosystem uh, in itself right but even when you look at uh, how you know when some of our uh, women cricketers played at the wbpl and the 100 they spoke about how that professionalism was so different in uh, those setups you know with respect to fitness and uh, in general you know the way everything is managed so what do you think is the impact of you know women's premier league on like women's cricket in india and i'm already calling it a game changer and the future editions are probably going to see more teams and you know more players getting uh, recruited so how do you see all of that pan out yeah like two things that there are very interesting and is what i would want to like build on one is the game changer aspect like mm-hmm. it definitely changes the game like you correctly mentioned it gives them exposure that they never had before it just forces everyone to be at their best because every game is on tv you're being watched and scrutinized hmm. a lot more than before so you can't get away with doing anything that's sloppy like there will be repercussions for it yeah. you can't just like glide your way through a match or innings or anything of that sort because now like with increased publicity or with increased eyeballs there is always also increased scrutiny hmm. so that whenever you're being scrutinized more or you're under greater pressure that like invariably uh, like forces you to uplift your game and hmm. be at your best because there are a lot more people watching the other thing like you said which i was very interested in is the amount of exposure that the indian players who hmm. played in the 100 or the wbbl have gotten somebody like harmanpreet kaur like for example has openly spoken about how much playing in the wbbl benefited her and mm. then we've seen the effect of that in how well she plays the australian Absolutely. bowlers mm. and the kind of strategies that she has against them the kind of scoring areas that she has opened up in her own game mm. her uh, play against pace has improved so much in the last few years the same goes for somebody like smriti mandana or deepthi sharma because again these are players who like played and had a lot of success in the wbbl or in the english domestic circuit so yeah there are a lot of benefits and back then it was still like one tournament the great thing now for these people is not is that that they have a tournament of their own but they also get to play in the 100 and the wbbl mm-hmm. unlike the men who only get to play in the ipl yeah. so that is like one big plus for these players because like they get to play not just international cricket but multiple top level franchise tournaments so that mm-hmm. just like gives them exposure of different kinds of conditions different cultures different players and different playing styles as well because mm-hmm. like just things like fielding or running between the wickets which have been 
problem areas for Indian cricket for a long time will improve significantly because yeah. you will be getting trained by the best fielding coaches and you will also be playing with some of the best fielders and best runners. Mm-hmm. You can sometimes learn a lot just by observing and being in that environment. So yeah, like those are some of the areas which I see benefiting the most through the WPL. Absolutely. And uh, I'm glad you brought this point earlier also, you know, about how these matches are getting uh, televised and, you know, kudos to Geo Cinema and Sports 18. They've been doing an amazing job with, you know, televising these matches. And if you observe, even the TRP for uh, the WPL has been massive. We have so many viewers watching it on TV, on the OTT platform and even thronging the stadiums, right? So uh, that's amazing to see. And how has your experience been, you know, going to the stadium, watching these uh, matches? Like, how's the vibe like in the stadium? I think, uh, like you said, Geo Cinema, I feel, has done a great job because not only are they broadcasting it, they've, like, gone all out with their promotions. Hmm. They're broadcasting it in multiple languages. They have a proper pre-match show, a mid-game show, a post-game show. Yes. Even during the matches, they talk to the players. Even before and after the matches, they talk to the players. Like, some of the commentators that they've gotten are really good. Like, not just in English or Hindi, but also the regional Hmm. languages. Like, these are people who follow the women's game closely, have a lot of knowledge. So, the commentary panel, obviously, there will obviously sometimes be people who aren't great. But a lot of people are there (laughs) who really know what happens in the women's game and give some great insight. And I think just the fact that they are broadcasting it in so many languages also helps because there are mm-hmm. a lot of people who probably speak only one language or two languages. So it just helps those people also consume the product in a quality way. Mm-hmm. And as far as the stadium experience goes, largely I feel it has been pretty good. Like the BCCI again uh, has been pretty good when it comes to having free tickets and things of that sort. Like even if the tickets are paid, people are clearly interested in coming to the matches because like the final and the eliminator didn't have any free tickets, but both those matches have been sold out and sold out in a matter of a few hours, especially for the final. Hmm. So yeah, that's great. I feel and the stadium experience in general in India is not as good as any uh, as some of the other countries, mm. but it has been similar to what you would say it is for an IPL game. Mm. There has been live music, there has been like an interactive thing going on with there being a stadium MC or announcer who generally have been like pretty energetic and have tried to engage the crowd. Mm. And because like all the matches have happened in Mumbai, I feel like the Mumbai Indians games have obviously had an edge because most of their games have been sold out. They have a very passionate fan following. Hmm. So the atmosphere in those games obviously has been the best compared to some of the other games. But I'm sure once the WPL moves to a multi-city format, oh. the atmosphere will be equally great when RCB play at Chinnaswamy or when Delhi Capitals play in Delhi. So yeah, hmm. I think that is a matter of time. But just like considering the fact that a lot of the games have been sold out and even for afternoon games even on weekdays there has been a healthy turnout there has been like a lot of encouraging signs as far as the first season is concerned I mean these are really uh, great signs and the way you explained you know your stadium experience that is uh, quite insightful as well and uh, the WPL too right has certainly lived up to its billing we've seen some amazing matches we've seen thrillers we've seen uh, sometimes one like one-sided competitions as well But uh, largely, you know, we have seen some real good quality cricket. So in your opinion, how good has the WPL, uh, you know, been so far? And did it keep you on the edge of your seat? Yeah, sometimes it did. Like you said, like a lot of the matches have been pretty one-sided and especially the gulf that has been there between the top two teams and the bottom two teams has been quite extreme in Mm -hmm. the first season. But I think we also need to take into consideration the fact that two of these franchises are coming into this kind of a competition for the first time ever. And one of them has actually progressed to the playoffs, which Mm. I think is quite commendable. And as for like a couple of the franchises really struggling and not really being able to push the other teams, like we have to take the fact into consideration that this was a very rushed tournament. Like everything just happened in the span of a month. 
so maybe they also didn't get enough time to have a pre-season camp mm-hmm. or to like have their coaches work with the players through the year and like just be in touch and tell them what are the areas mm-hmm. that they can work on and similarly like a lot of these franchises primarily have overseas coaches or maybe an overseas analyst so they might not be very well aware of the Indian talent mm-hmm. and the Indian players who've not played for India yet because most more than 90% of the domestic matches aren't on TV and other than the respective team staff nobody like really records those matches so that mm-hmm. is like uh, data that is not easily available so that those were some of the uh, problems that the franchises might have faced but we've seen some exceptional performances especially from the overseas players like mm-hmm. if say, for example there were 30 overseas players in the competition out of the ones who've played at least 90% of them have like given one performance that you would remember or that will hmm. stick in your head. So at least as far as the overseas players are concerned, I think the level of their play and the quality has been really great. Like it's almost as good as a World Cup. I think the Indian performances have not really been that great. Hmm. A lot of the experienced Indian players who've like done really well on the international circuit who are big names on the international circuit have not had the greatest season. Hmm. But that can always happen in a format like T20 and especially, again, coming back to that point of it happening in just one city. So sometimes like it just like uh, narrows down the conditions a lot. So if hmm. you're playing in the same kind of conditions and if those don't suit you, you might struggle. But if it's happening in five, six different stadiums or cities, then obviously you have a greater chance of adapting and flourishing so these are things that will happen and Hmm. just for the first season overall I would say the quality of cricket and the kind of matches that we've seen have definitely been above par and above average and some of the cricket has been truly exceptional. Absolutely. I'd agree with you on that. And, you know, talking about the teams, let's start with RCB, right? Now, they had a very uh, disappointing outing this time around, losing their first five games, winning two, sparking some hopes for us fans. But, uh, you know, they lost their uh, last match. They crashed out. They didn't have one more equation go their way. So if you had to, you know, look at uh, RCB's performance and their season at large, uh, what do you think worked for them and what didn't? I think what worked for them, maybe they hadn't thought of it, but what really worked for them was their uncapped Indian players. Hmm. I think that was the most impressive aspect about this team, like be it Shreyanka Patil, Kanika Hoja, or Asha Joy. All three of them were like largely excellent right through the season, turned up in the difficult situations, uh, performances that were like truly remarkable. Hmm. And uh, have like stayed the claim to probably be close to the Indian team. I don't know if they are ready yet to be in the Indian team, but they definitely will figure in the discussions, especially because of the skill sets that they have and the fact that they turned up in difficult situations. Like none of them were batting in the top order or uh, bowling in easy situations, but hmm. they like flourished in spite of. Uh, and you could see like Smriti Mandana also acknowledged that in. By the end of the tournament, she was giving them greater responsibility. Kanika Auja was pushed up the batting order a couple of times. Shreyanka Patil was bowling in the power play. She was bowling in the death as well. And similarly for Asha Joy, she became their go-to bowler in the middle over. So I think mm-hmm. these three players were the biggest positives for them. What didn't work was for them was the form of Smriti Mandana and Renuka Singh Thakur because they like spent a huge chunk of their auction purse on these two players Hmm. and justifiably so because these two players have been among the biggest match winners for India in the last 12 months but both of them didn't really turn up in this tournament and didn't have a single noteworthy performance with the bat and with the ball respectively Hmm. I think Smithy Mandana as captain also probably struggled a fair bit because this was the first time that she was captaining such a star-studded team in such a major tournament. So maybe she also needed some time to get acquainted with leading a team with team with players from so many countries, with mm-hmm. such big names, with so much of leadership experience. And their overseas players also weren't like very consistent. Megan Shute and Heather Knight both had an underpart tournament, but they kept sticking with them throughout like Knight played all eight matches Shoot hmm. played seven of the eight matches 
So I feel like their overseas players also were a slight letdown. For Maiden, so you can understand that the conditions weren't exactly ideal because most fast bowlers, especially swing bowlers, have not had the greatest time in this tournament. Hmm. But somebody like Heather Knight should have probably done better because she was always batting more or less in the top four. So, But I don't think she scored a single 50. So that is hmm. not great. And they had good options on the bench like Erin Burns and Dani Van Nieker. But yes. they just tried Erin Burns for one match and never went back to her. And Dani Van Nieker strangely never played right through the tournament. So like hmm. getting a world-class player and just keeping them on the bench throughout doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think just uh, the whole combination didn't work for them this time. And the other issue for them was their bowling because they were relying on the Indian bowlers because none of their overseas players now bowl a lot other than maybe mm-hmm. shoot. Like Heather Knight rarely bowls for England. Elise Perry doesn't bowl more than two overs in any T20I for Australia. And Sophie Devine was coming back from injury, which is why she didn't bowl at all at the World Cup. So maybe she was a little rusty. By the end, though, she turned in a couple of good performances with the ball as well. Mm. But on the whole, like the form of their overseas bowler, uh, overseas players with the ball is what I feel caused them the most, along with Smriti Mandana and Renuka Singh Thakur's struggle. So I feel they have a very good team on paper, like mm. you said. Maybe next year if they are playing in different conditions at the Chinnaswamy, which is like a much better ground for their team, I see mm-hmm. them easily breaking into the top three as well because they have the team. Just a couple of small tweaks and I think this is a team that can definitely challenge for the title as well. Absolutely. I mean, as you rightly pointed out, this is a quality team with, you know, such uh, good players and on paper, they're almost undefeatable. But I think it, there were certain decisions that didn't make sense. And I'm glad you brought this point of how, you know, Danny Van Nienkirk was not uh, included in either of the matches. Now, she's a player with so much caliber and potential. She's been a match winner in uh, so many uh, franchise tournaments and for South Africa as well, right? So what did you make of RCB not including her in any of the matches and it was a very tough uh, pill to swallow. Yeah, like you said, not including her in any of the matches was the most bizarre part according to me because at the beginning of the tournament, you could give them some leeway that she hasn't played top-level cricket Hmm. for a very long time now. So maybe they just wanted to ease her into the competition. And the other four players that they played were all coming fresh from the World Cup. Hmm. Two had won the tournament and the other two were captains. So it's fine. But once they were losing matches, I think in the middle for a couple of games, Dane was unwell as well, which is why mm-hmm. they couldn't select her. But not picking her in the last three games was absolutely inexcusable in my opinion. Yeah. Because by then, like they tried all sorts of combinations and nothing was working. And moreover, by then the pitches were also tired, especially at D.Y. Patel, the ball was turning a lot. Mm-hmm. So a leg spinner... Somebody like Asha Joy clearly had a lot of success, but having a second leg spinner could have been like an X factor for them. Exactly. And at the end, like had they won their last three matches, you never know what could have happened. Hmm. Uh, obviously, UP ended up winning four and maybe that also wouldn't have been enough. Hmm. But at least like it would have helped them finish on a high. Yeah. And Dane Van Niekirk is also somebody who provides a leadership option because she's hmm. been great for South Africa. She's a player who likes being involved in the game. Even when she's not captain, she's somebody mm. who always like goes and talks to the captain. So it would have helped Sveti Mandana a fair bit too in terms of field placement or just strategizing. Exactly. And things of that sort. Because I didn't really see Heather Knight or Sophie Devine go up to her all that much. Mm. At least in the matches where I was in the stadium. Unlike somebody like Ash Gardner who was helping Snerana out a lot. So I think that is also something that RCP's players probably could have done a lot more of. But that again is something that you probably don't know because they might have their own dynamic within the team. But yeah, mm-hmm. Dane Van Nikov not playing was probably one of the big mistakes that they made because there was no statement saying she's injured or not exactly. fit or anything of that sort. So you have to assume that she was fit and available for selection. Mm-hmm. And if that was the case, she should have played at least three games, if not throughout the competition. Absolutely. As an ardent RCB fan, for me, it was extremely disappointing to, you know, see this match winner, you know, bomb the bench for like the entire season. And this is one decision that will probably never make uh, sense ever. 
but you know uh, let's focus on our next team right that's gujarat giants now this was another team that was probably earmarked for success but then uh, they had some massive losses they had a very poor uh, net run rate in spite of having the right players i think they just could not make the impact they quite hoped for right considering the kind of uh, backroom staff they had and how would you assess uh, their season yeah like like you rightly said like probably their backroom staff is more star studded than their actual <laughs> team so yeah. maybe like at some points it looked like rather than the players that they were having out in the middle like maybe mm-hmm. metali raj or rachel kins could have had more success but obviously you have to play with who you have and those players are now retired mm-hmm. to be fair to them they also like had a slightly tough lead up to the tournament with the whole dotin being oh, unavailable yeah. thing like that was something which was a big blow for them mm-hmm. i feel because dotin probably would have been their first choice opener mm-hmm. as well as dead bowler and their other opener and captaincy pick was beth muni who mm-hmm. got injured and limped off in the very first match yeah. so any team that is missing its two two of its three best overseas players would struggle because uh, they did get laura wolfarten and she had a great season to be fair to her mm. but beth muni and deandra dotton are both world cup winners and yeah. probably two of like deandra dotton is probably the most destructive opener in t20 cricket and also one of the best all rounders because great fielder great death bowler and for beth muni she is just probably the most consistent player that's currently there in the world and she was also their first choice wicket keeper so just mm. not having those two players really hurt them but i also felt a lot of their time a lot of the time their strategies were poor like uh having anabel sutherland as the dead bowler didn't really make ah. much sense because that's a mm. role that she doesn't perform be it for melbourne stars or for australia mm. and it's okay to try that but even when it wasn't working they kept persisting with her and that like caused them a couple of games similarly their uh, selection could have been better because they kept picking mansi joshi but they were mm-hmm. not bowling her at all so yeah. might as well have picked an extra batter because their batting just collapsed spectacularly in multiple matches which was a big reason for those defeats that they had like you rightly mm-hmm. mentioned so the team selection again was not always great uh ash gardner who was their most expensive player took a fair bit of time before making an impact in the tournament mm. but that can happen like she just had a off first yeah. half and then in the second half she showed what she's capable of mm. i thought snehrana's captaincy and this ash gardner is vice captain was one of the big positives because it's never easy she snehrana herself had a hand injury mm. which is why i think she batted very low down in a lot of the games and couldn't have the kind of impact that she possibly can with the mm. bat um So I would pick Snehrana's captaincy as one of the big positives because I thought, like, in spite of losing those two players, like she kept the players involved. Mm-hmm. She gave them, like, she got the best out of a lot of the domestic players. Yeah, they had a strong railways contingent, and Snehrana obviously has been railways captain, so she knew mm-hmm. their strengths well, and she utilized them accordingly. Like somebody like Dayal and Himlata had a great season. Mm-hmm. I would be very surprised if she is not in the Indian team after this. Harleen Diol. played the best that we probably ever seen her because she's somebody who's had her struggles with the strike rate in the T20 format mm-hmm. but here like she was really good she made that number 3 position her own tanuja mm-hmm. kanwar again was another player who impressed uncapped player most expensive uncapped player in the auction and i thought she had a moments through the season mm-hmm. so i feel like uh, that domestic batting contingent was pretty good where they lack is like having a quality overseas bowler because mm. kim garth was very good she came in as a replacement player for deandra dotton mm. but they lack good quality fast bowlers so that is one area that they definitely would want to address mm. and dead bowling as well because that is why they leak a lot of runs so yeah those are like the two areas which they probably need to address more than any other area and once they do that and once they have beth muni back i don't know if Deandra Dotton will return considering all the controversy hmm. she might not want to play with the franchise again but if they have Beth Muni back then they will have four very solid overseas players in the hmm. form of her Laura Wolfart Ash Gardner and Kim Garth they can look to get two good uh, overseas players and if they get 
ideally a good fast bowler and somebody who can bowl at the death as well i think that would really help them a lot absolutely because this was a team you know which had again like good players and after the auction also many felt you know it was just a team that was dominated by like railways players and the aussies but they still made the most of uh, the kind of resources uh, they had on hand but i think getting that squad composition right uh, will be the aim next season uh so now you know when you talk about uh, another team that had mixed fortunes at the women's premier league we have the up warriors right now they had quite an interesting women's premier league again you know the quality of players they had always made it a tough choice you know pick that uh, playing 11 get they did i think a decent job i mean considering they did uh, make it to the playoffs so how would you reckon you know their seasons uh, been so far and do you see them having that breakthrough season making it to the finals uh i think they had more than a decent season because i think out of all the five teams mm. up warriors were probably the team that at least according to me messed up the most at the auction as mm. a result they could only buy 16 players instead of 18 players mm. and i think like in a tournament like this which is so tight with eight matches spread across 20 days you need very good bench strength because players might get injured or if players are out of form you want good replacements on the bench but because up warriors ended up spending well in excess of a crore over devika vaidya when they had like less than 2 crore left it meant that they only ended up with 16 players hmm. the thing that they did really well like you said was their overseas overseas picks i yeah. feel like mumbai and delhi also have great overseas picks but if i had to like pick just one team with the best overseas picks it would be a toss up between uh, up and mumbai but i mean mm. up has a slight edge because if you look at their bench as well they've always had one of grace harris or shabnam ismail there mm. so like you said that has been their big headache like picking their four overseas players yeah. but i feel that headache was solved pretty quickly with the innings that grace harris played the first time she came out to bat mm. i think that was probably the innings of the tournament for me but because their overseas picks are so good where they lack is in terms of quality of indian players hmm. like they don't have any indian batter who's really good or proven at the international level they have a couple of very good indian bowlers they have deepthi sharma and rajeshwari gaikwad both hmm. of whom are really proven performers and they have a very good upcoming young bowler in parshvi chopra and then they have a good reasonably good bench strength as well when it comes to their bowling attack anjali sarvani is there mm. who's one of the better seamers in india but the one area where they really lack uh, and which they should look to address before the next season is their batting like they could have mm. easily done with somebody like a veda krishnamurthy a experienced proven indian batter who can score quickly and is also very consistent in like considering they are very top heavy like both mm-hmm. talia magra and alisa hili bat in the top 4 and grace harris also generally bats at 5 uh, what what that is meant is they've generally like struggled in the number 2 3 and 6 7 position so mm-hmm. somebody like veda krishnamurthy would have helped address that role and yeah they will like need a good opener before the next season as well shweta sarawat is somebody who has a lot of potential mm-hmm. but she's still very young and she's not faced this kind of bowling attacks consistently so she probably mm. needs a year or two more to mature so she is a player that she sh- that they should keep the faith in but yeah mm. otherwise i feel like they are on uh, on paper probably the strongest bowling attack in this tournament the most strongest spin attack for sure their pace mm. attack again is something where they can do do better they have like shabnam ismail but she is not getting into the playing 11 because of the quandary we spoke about earlier mm-hmm. but yeah their spin bowling attack is definitely the best so their spin bowling attack plus their overseas players is what has carried them into the playoffs because talia magra second highest run getter grace harris mm-hmm. highest strike rate and elisa hilia has also generally done a good job as captain Mm. again she's new to the role doesn't have a lot of experience but she's made the effort to get to know the indian players she's interacted a lot with them off the field on the field mm. and managed to get the best out of a few of them so i feel like 
having her as captain has also helped them. So yeah, the overseas players for me have been the big highlight of this campaign. Mm-hmm. And talking about the other part where you asked about whether they can make the final, mm-hmm. just on the basis of what we've seen in the tournament, I'd say Mumbai are the favorites. But because of the four overseas players that they have, and we've all seen what uh, Elisa Healy and Sophie Eccleston are capable yeah. of in knockout games. Mm-hmm. And T20 is the kind of format where even one player can win you the match. I will definitely not rule them out. I'd say 60-40 in favor of Mumbai. But UP definitely have a very strong chance as well. Absolutely. It's, you know, a confluence of these uh, factors that really worked uh, well for them that obviously led to their uh, qualification as well. And uh, talking about the favorites that you said, now Mumbai, right? They have had a dream season, uh, winning all their matches early on. But I felt somewhere, you know, they'd lost the plot in the second half of the season. They were rocked with a few losses. Their batting seemed just off for some reason. So how would you look at uh, their season at large? And, you know, although they look favorites on paper, do you see them make it to that uh, finals? Yeah, like I was saying, I think they are probably the favorites to make it to the finals because uh, on the whole, like they have a better uh, bowling attack, uh, sorry, a better batting attack than UP. Hmm. And they also have better pace bowling options, uh, which... Probably are key at D.Y. Patil because we've seen at that venue Pacers have had a lot more success than at the Brevon Stadium. Mm. Though to be fair, UP did manage to beat Mumbai the last time they uh, met at D.Y. Patil. But it was a very close match. Mumbai didn't get the runs on the board but they still took the chase to the 20th over and UP just managed to sneak past them. So I think Mumbai are definitely the favourites. Mm-hmm. Talking about their season, I feel they probably heard a little when they won those five matches on the trot because mm-hmm. in those five matches, there were instances where they were absolutely bossing the match. So they mm-hmm. had the opportunity to throw the ball a little more to uh, somebody like Jintimani, Kalita or Amanjot Kaur. Mm-hmm. And similarly with the bat, they were like absolutely cruising in the chase. So they had the opportunity to push up somebody like Amanjot Kaur or Humaira Kazi. But because these players had not had any exposure whatsoever with the bat in those first five matches, when they actually got the opportunity to play in the sixth, seventh and eighth matches, they were undercooked and they just couldn't Mm. give the performances that were needed. And I don't blame Mm. them for it because no matter how much nets you do, how much practice matches you do, they can't replicate an actual match situation. So the only way you can succeed in actual matches is by playing in actual matches. And for those first four games, three or four of the players were almost playing as specialist feeders. So that mm-hmm. was a little strange. So I think they could have given a little more exposure to those players, especially when you could see that there was no way that they were going to lose that match because both Haley Matthews and Yastika Bhatia powered them to some great starts. And similarly, like they had opponents sometimes at 50 for 5, 60 for 8 and all. And in those uh, situations, there's no harm in giving the ball to somebody who you might need at a later stage. Mm -hmm. So that, again, is probably a factor that might come into play in the knockouts. Like if opponents manage to have them 50 for 4 or 30 for 3, they they will be in serious trouble because Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't say they lack batting depth like the options that they have at number seven eight nine are good but those players have not had enough time uh, with the bat in this tournament so far so that is one area that opponent should look to target and both the matches that Mumbai lost were batting first so I wouldn't be surprised if both Delhi and UP choose to field and Harman Preet cause luck with the toss has been really (laughs) poor for a very long time now so that those are like some of the things that might come to bite them. But otherwise, on the whole, the big positive for this team is that just their top seven are capable of delivering 20 overs and mm-hmm. high quality 20 overs at that. So that just means that they always have three, four extra players. So that is a luxury to have in a T20 game. So I feel just the quality of all-rounders that they have will Haley Matthews, Amelia Kerr, mm and uh, Nat Sivabrand. And I feel Lizzie Wong's been the surprise package because I don't think too many people saw her doing what she's done this tournament, especially mm-hmm. with the bat as well. So I think just having four high-quality all-rounders is a luxury that only they have in this tournament. Mm-hmm. And they've like utilized that uh, 
very optimally absolutely and i think like mumbai although they had that dream start they really faced the acid test in those uh, you know remaining three games but you know it's still nice to see them uh, make it to the playoffs and it will be interesting to see how uh, they play in that very important match against uh, up and another team under focus and probably the last is uh, delhi capitals right now this is another team that is super impressive with the way they went about their business and uh, led by meg lanning they showcase like all the right qualities of this champion team that had everything in place so how would you look at uh, their journey and season at last so far i think they've been very impressive they've been extremely clinical because uh, they have great uh bowling attack they have yeah. a great top four but again like they lack batting depth uh they have jess donison at six now she is a player who has opened for australia in the past has a lot of good performances with the bat in the wbbl but of late like at least in the last wbbl season she wasn't batting this high and for australia in the last few years at least she has not batted this high so at some points they have looked a batter short but that is the only possible weakness in that team because be their opening batters or their opening bowlers they have like the best opening combination in both departments because uh, Meg Lanning and Shafali Verma have been absolutely devastating we've seen mm-hmm. them like ace 100 plus chases in less than 10 overs a couple of times and they've like also made a very nice contrasting pair which is like very difficult for the bowlers also to adjust to because shafali varma obviously is very uh, strong straight down the ground and uh, and yeah, like uh, hits the ball in the air and is very good of taking advantage of the power play meg lanning on the other hand is very strong square of the wicket plays pace really well plays the short ball really well so it's been difficult for the bowlers to adjust to this combination and then the great thing for them is they have somebody like alice capsi or marizan kapit number 3 Mm-hmm. Marizan Kapp is a player who's very similar to Meg Lanning and Alice Capsi is probably the best teenage batter in the world currently apart from Shafali Verma. She again is somebody who always bats at a great strike rate and with Shafali and Alice Capsi in the top 3 you'll never be short of intent. That is one thing you can be sure of and on any day that one of these two batters get going like even if they score 50 they'll like just increase the run rate so much that the opponents find it really difficult then to get back into the game hmm. and their bowling attack again has been very impressive like marizan kap and shikha pande have formed a very lethal combination with the new ball and in the power play especially i don't think any bowlers been as effective as marizan in the power play and the other thing that these two bowlers are really good at is bowling dot balls uh, both of them are in the top 3 when it comes to dot balls in the tournament so that just like adds so much of pressure in a format like t20 where you keep like piling the dots up mm-hmm. and they have great options in the spin department as well they have punam yadav total not so long ago was india's leading wicket taker in t20is they have jess johnson who's arguably the second best left arm spinner in the world after mm-hmm. Sophie Eccleston so yeah like a very well rounded team and no wonder they finished top of the table and they definitely like have the they've beaten both mumbai and up so i think they'll be very confident no matter who they face in the final and again they have somebody like meg lanning and jess johnson who have won multiple finals plus marizan kap who has been player of the match in multiple finals and uh, shafali verma again only indian captain to win a world cup only indian woman captain to win a world cup so yeah mm. they have a lot going for them and whoever faces them in the final will have their hands full absolutely that is one team to uh, watch out for and the kind of performances they've put has been nothing short of impressive and deservingly you know they made it uh, to the finals and uh, now you know we've discussed through our episode about all these teams and uh, we've analyzed pretty much their entire season but uh, let's focus on some of these domestic and uncapped stars like through the episode 2 you mentioned how there were some uh, domestic uh, players who we didn't expect would actually perform so well but they did uh, manage to you know uh, catch our attention for the right reasons so who were some of these uh, domestic and uncapped stars who impressed you yeah i think uh... 
like going from top to bottom, I think when it comes to the opening position, I feel Yastika Bhatia, obviously she's somebody who's played for India, but mm. her T20 record hasn't been great. So I think she has been really impressive. Like her partnership with Haley Matthews has been one of the keys to Mumbai's success. And mm. I, I have been even more impressed with her keeping. Like she's been excellent while standing up to the stumps, especially to spin as the most stumpings in this tournament, as the most dismissals as well. So I think yeah. uh, she is a great option for India as backup for both Smriti Mandana as an opener in case there is an injury or if India need another left-hander to open the batting in T20Is and also mm. a great backup wicketkeeper for Richard Ghosh. Uh, coming to the middle order, I felt like the one Indian player who's impressed a lot is Harleen Diol, again, somebody mm. who's not always uh, flourished on the international level in T20Is. Mm. But just the way she has faced uh, spin in particular in this tournament was very impressive. And also the power that she generated a few times was something that uh, was a surprise because she's not somebody who's known for mm. her power or for hitting success. But she like did that with a fair bit of success in this tournament. So mm. she, again, is good number three option for India in case Jemima Rodriguez loses form or if they need a replacement yeah. for her. Yeah, and talking about somebody who was not a part of the Indian team at the World Cup but is really impressed in this tournament would be Dialan Himlata. Mm-hmm. Somebody who is the best player of spin on the Indian domestic circuit in my opinion at least. Like Apart from Harmanpreet Kaur and Jemima, I don't really see any Indian player who plays spin that well. Mm-hmm. Maybe Harleen Diol, but that's it. Always turns up for the railways, uh, turns up in difficult situations, get runs every domestic season. But whenever she's played for India, she's not been able to do that with the bats. Mm-hmm. So it was great to see her finally realize her potential and do it on the big stage. Again, six hitting uh, was a big revelation. She's hit like sixes. Uh, her, her average six hitting uh, balls for six has been lesser than Grace Harris and Richa Ghosh, who mm-hmm. are like two of the most prolific six hitters ever in the women's game. So that tells you all about how good she has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly batted at number five or six for Gujarat, but those are like positions which are pain points for India. So a great option. And I think she should right away slot into the Indian squad mm-hmm. for the Bangladesh tour. Uh, so those were the batters that impressed me the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the bowlers, it's... Uh, and Tanika Hoja again is another good yes. option. Left-hander has done really well at number 5-6. And uh, we saw in that she bowled only one over in the tournament, but got two wickets and two good wickets. Pooja Vastrakar and Izzy Vaughan. So maybe Smriti Mandana should have uh, thrown her the ball earlier in the tournament mm. as well, considering how dismal RCB's bowling was. And again, very good fielder as well. So a three-dimensional player. So she and Shriyanka Patil are two players who can really fill that number six, seven, eight kind of position for India because they contribute in all three departments. Mm. Very good intent with the bats, score at a good strike rate. Shriyanka Patil's death bowling was very impressive. It's an area where India has sometimes struggled. So yeah. she is somebody who can, uh, I don't see her playing ahead of Snehrana or Deepthi Sharma at this stage, mm. but she's somebody who definitely should figure in the discussions when the next squad is announced. And the one other player uh, who has been really impressive is Parshvi Chopra. Hmm. I think UP brought her into the competition very late. Hmm. But in all the three games that she's played, she's been really impressive. Troubled Harmanpreet Kaur with her variations. Dismissed, I think, Ash Gardner in the death overs in the match against Gujarat, which probably was the turning point because that ended up costing Gujarat maybe 15-20 runs. And then UP was eventually able to chase down that target in progress to the playoffs. Hmm. So yeah, these are the domestic as well as Indian players who impressed me the most from the ones who were either not at the World Cup or were at the World Cup but don't have a great T20 record so Hmm. far. Right. I mean, this is a brilliant list because, you know, these players certainly uh, made a mark for themselves and can stake a claim in the Indian team, right? We have a couple of important uh, series coming up. And uh, for the team like Bangladesh too, you can experiment and try out these uh, players who are on the fringes. So that will be uh, quite interesting to see. And although, you know, we have had these uh, domestic and, you know, the Indian players who have played so well, 
who are some of the overseas players who impressed you? I mean, the obvious answers would be like Sophie Devine, Ellie Sperry, Kim Garth. But do you have any personal favorites who really clicked? Yeah, like like you said, a lot of the heavyweights obviously were very impressive. Hmm. Meg Lanning, Ellie Sperry, Sophie Eccleston, uh, Ellie Sahili, Talia Magra. But all of these are players who are very high in the world rankings, who won World Cups, who are superstars. But among players who are not exactly superstars on the international stage yet but who really impressed me uh, again like Haley Matthews, Amelia Kerr have been super impressive, Nats Overbrunt but all of these are players who you expect this out of but I'd say like the players who are not superstars yet at the international circuit but who have been really impressive and been very key to their team's success. Uh, Grace Harris I'd say each time she has come out to bat she's gotten at least 35 runs best mm-hmm. uh best one of the best strike rates in the tournament one of the best averages in the tournament has been excellent in chases like all the four matches upf one have been in chases and i think she's had a key role to play in at least three of those uh has been the standout performer she has like a big reputation in the wbbl we've also seen her do it a few times for Australia in the last 12 months, but just the consistency and the whole character, like her interactions on the mic with the commentators or post-match have also been a real highlight for me. So yeah. she is somebody who's really impressed. The other player I just spoke about, Izzy Wong, has made a big impact for Mumbai uh, with the ball, has bowled well in the power play, in the middle overs, at the death, has bowled a lot of thoughts, excellent fielder. And the real revelation has been her batting because she never bats so high for England mm-hmm. or even in the 100. So she's gotten that number seven spot because Charlotte Edwards, who's also her coach at Southern Vipers, rates mm-hmm. her very highly. And she's grabbed that opportunity with both hands. I feel among the players who are not that uh, well-known or uh, not superstars at the international stage, Grace Harris and Dizzy Wong are the two players who've impressed me the most. Fair enough. And uh, now, you know, although we saw a lot of players get these opportunities and make the most of it, there were still some players, you know, who did not uh, make the cut in the playing level. This, these are obviously some overseas stars we've spoken about before in the form of Danny Van Neuvel. But there were also, you know, some uh, like uncapped and domestic players, you know, like Sneha, Deepthi, and, uh, you know, to name a few who obviously didn't uh, make the cut. So how disappointing was that to see? And do you have, again, a list of these players? Yeah, like I actually had a list. A couple of them did eventually end up playing. Uh, mm-hmm. Parshavi Chopra ended up playing. Ashwini Kumari ended up playing. But I was very sad that they didn't bat Ashwini higher up the order because that is where she bats for Jharkhand. Mm-hmm. I would have really liked Gujarat to bat her up the order at some stage because they didn't really give her that opportunity. Uh, Dane Van Nikak was obviously the biggest shock, but I think we've already spoken mm-hmm. enough about that. Apart from that, like you rightly mentioned, Sneha Dikti uh, was probably somebody who deserved an opportunity because uh, she's a very aggressive batter. And like we were talking, Delhi were a batter shot. So they should have uh, given her an opportunity uh, maybe earlier in the tournament because now they are continuously winning and you don't want to change a winning combination in the knockouts. Hmm. So she was one player who probably should have been tried. And the other player that Delhi should have tried was Jasya Akhtar. Mm-hmm. Had a great domestic season, is a very explosive batter, hits a lot of sixes. So I felt like she was another batter who probably should have been tried by Delhi Capitals. Uh, but the problem was she is best suited to opening it, uh, opening the batting or batting at number three. And mm-hmm. Delhi made the decision to open with Lanning. So then there was no vacancy there, and they chose to go with Alice Capsi and Marizan Kap at number three. So I can see why they didn't play her because they probably think her and Sneha Deepthi are not suited to batting at number six or seven. Hmm. But just considering the kind of domestic season these two players had and what their ability is, it was slightly sad to not see the two of them get an opportunity in this tournament. And the last player who I would have wanted to see was Parunika Sisodia, a hmm. very young player under 19, still had a great season for Delhi, very good left-arm spinner. And considering how much Gujarat's bowling attack struggled at various stages in the tournament, I thought uh, they should have given her a go. Maybe mm-hmm. ahead of someone like Manchi Joshi who was in the playing 11 but was rarely getting to bowl. 
So I thought then considering the pitches were turning as well, they should have given her a go. So yeah, those would be some of the players that I felt uh, deserve an opportunity in the tournament. Absolutely. And here's hoping, you know, uh, in the coming seasons, we get to see a lot more of these players and they, you know, make the most of their opportunities in the domestic setup. So, you know, these franchises give them the opportunities in a, uh, you know, in a platform like this as well. And even when you look at the tournament as at large, we have spoken about this, we saw some real good uh, quality matches. But if you had to handpick some of your favorite matches so far of the tournament, what would those look like? I I definitely picked the uh, the Gujarat Giants versus UP Warriors match. Like I was in the stadium for that match, and just the turnaround that Grace Harris and Sophie mm. Eccleston uh, had that was quite remarkable. Like scoring, I think sixty three in the last four overs. I don't think that has probably ever happened before in a top T mm. twenty franchise league. So that turnaround and that innings by Grace Harrison also. The support that she got from uh, Sophie Eccleston was quite special. So I felt like that was uh, one of the best matches of the tournament. Uh, the other match that I really liked was again, uh, it had Gujarat and mm-hmm. RCB. Uh, the match where Gujarat got 200 and then RCB got off to a really great start and a flyer. And they had a lot of runs in the power play and they eventually ended up losing by 11 runs hmm. but Sophie Devine like played a great knock in that match and like it looked like 200 would be chased down for the first time in the tournament didn't happen eventually but I felt like it was a pretty good match and uh, yeah high scoring game and you do want to see that in a T20 and my third match uh, which I touched upon earlier as well mm-hmm. would be the Mumbai Indians versus UP Warriors match because Mumbai just scored 127 and normally you and especially in this WPL, we've seen totals like that get chased down very easily. Yeah. But uh, UP Warriors really had to dig deep and the match went into the 20th over. And then the first two balls were dots and then Sophie Eccleston hit that six of Izzy mm. Wong. And even there, Grace Harris again played a great knock. So UP were in a lot of trouble, but Grace Harris's excellence again saw them through. So those would be like my top three uh, matches from this tournament. Amazing. And, you know, as we reach uh, the end of our uh, discussion, who do you think, you know, will win that Mumbai versus UP match? And what is your prediction uh, for the finals as well? So coming to the Mumbai versus UP match, like I was saying earlier, Mm. I feel like Mumbai definitely have the edge there. And considering the kind of uh, big match players as well as the overall quality that they have, I feel they will probably beat uh, the UP Warriors. Uh, Coming to the final, uh, it's very, very hard to tell. It's almost (laughs) 50-50. But I think I'd probably give uh, Delhi Capitals a slight edge Mm -hmm. because of the kind of form that top three have been in. And uh, the other thing is also that their, uh, their bowling attack is also in really hmm. good form and yeah like it's very close to call like these two teams yeah. both won six matches both are equally good on paper hmm. but I think uh, it's very rare to see Meg Lanning losing a finalist captain <laughs> yeah. I really want Harman Preet Kaur to win and I personally would be supporting the Mumbai Indians but hmm. if I had to give a prediction I think Delhi captains will probably win it this time Fair enough. And as a sad, grieving RCB fan, I would just like to see quality cricket. The oppositions don't uh, matter. But as you rightly said, I think, you know, seeing Mumbai win would be uh, amazing, right? Because Harman Preetkar certainly does deserve uh, another title in her uh, trophy cabinet, if not for India, at least for, at least in franchise cricket. So uh, that will be, you know, an interesting uh, playoff and finals to watch out for. And, uh, you know, do you have any uh, final thoughts or a message for our listeners as we wind up? Yeah, my final message would just be to tune in for the finals because like yes. for the playoffs because these uh, players deserve it. Like you were saying, the quality of cricket will be great because all the best players from this tournament will be in action. And yeah, like you can expect the best players to do their best in the biggest matches. So it will mm-hmm. be worth it. And also to like, like, share and subscribe to Never on the Backfoot. It's one of the best best podcasts that's out there. And if you want to be 
tuned to whatever's happening in the cricket world you should follow it on instagram and twitter as well that's where i get a lot of my daily dose of what's happening <laughs> in all forms of cricket from not just women's cricket men's cricket as well domestic cricket as well so yeah that would be my final thoughts and again thank you so much for having me it's always great chatting cricket with you on this platform so yeah thank you so much mohit for the kind and encouraging words and here's hoping you know i can again have you back on the podcast and we can have another uh, lovely discussion until next time stay safe and take care thank you you take care thank you so much listeners for tuning into this episode and for your unstinted support please follow and press the bell icon on spotify and subscribe to the podcast on google podcast for the latest episode updates and stay tuned do check out @read never in the back foot on instagram and @read never in the back one on twitter for the latest facts terminology retweets fresh tweets and a lot more is coming up this cricket season just for you the podcast is also available on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify anchor overcast and a lot of other platforms so please do spread the word until next time stay safe and take care listeners bye for now